Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. This week's podcast is brought to you by my sponsors and patrons at patreon.com. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Sign up today and get a shout out on the podcast. More benefits and info can be found at patreon.com slash Daryl Johnston. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Highway Walkers podcast. My name is Daryl Johnston, and joining me today is Daniel R. Hill. Uh, Daniel is best known for portraying Chad Anderson on the Fox series The Resident. He was Cheetah in the Netflix film Point Blank, and he's also known as Buck Pritchard in the IFC film Rust Creek. So, hello, Daniel, and thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Daryl and Highway Walkers, thanks for having me. I have already done a brief bio, but I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing just a bit more about who you are and what you do. Uh, sure. So, um, as Daryl said, uh, my name is Daniel R. Hill. Um, the R is in there because there is a uh, older British actor whose name is Daniel Hill. So, with uh, SAG rules and everything, uh, I had to throw uh, something in the mix and... Uh, early in my career, he got credited for a few of my things on IMGb. We've got all that uh, situated now, but um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a professional actor. Uh, live in Los Angeles. I'm originally from Louisville, uh, which is why I sound the way I sound. <laughs> and uh, me and Daryl have a connection through. Uh, we both got our MFA in acting from the Professional Actor Training Program uh, at the University of South Carolina, where we studied under Suzuki master teacher Steve Pearson and Robin Hunt. Um, and so, yeah, I've spent, uh, I really spent the first 15 years of my career doing theater um, and had, had known at some point in my career that I wanted to make the transition to TV and film, but uh, I'm a firm believer um, that the best actors start in theater. Um, everybody from Meryl Streep to uh, Daniel Day-Lewis to Denzel Washington, uh, I, I truly believe that you look at the greatest actors uh, you know, in film and TV history, they all got their basis and their start in the theater. And so I took a contract working for Kentucky Shakespeare and found myself back in Louisville, which definitely wasn't the plan. And I thought, oh, I'd be here just for the summer, and then I'll, you know, go back up to New York and find the next job and mm-hmm. the three year old theater, so be it. And then I just started getting a ton of work in Louisville. Uh, everybody knew that I was back. They knew that I had my master's um, at an amazing place with top-notch training. And they knew that I just came off work at Utah Shakes. So I started getting all these offers from universities to teach classes and to direct shows. I got, you know, I got to direct Hamlet. I got to direct Othello. I directed uh, Sylvia by A.R. Gurney. Um, a bunch of other things. And uh, I was teaching classes. And, uh, and so I'm like, that, doing that, doing Shakespeare for a couple of years. And then I got offered uh, a job to teach in the grad school at the university. So I was, uh, you know, the uh, I was the M- you know the head of the MFA acting uh, at the university, and they 
you know, they called me up and asked me to take the job. I didn't apply for it. Uh, and it was an unfortunate situation in the fact that, and I'll keep this part very brief because I don't want the school to get any recognition from me at all. Hmm. Um, they promised me a lot of stuff. And um, once I got there, uh, I felt duped. And, uh, you know, I had a great time, of course, training actors to be professionals like I was doing. Uh, and I had a great time directing the shows. But they weren't giving me time off to, to do my own work. And um, they were making it really difficult on me to to do the things that I needed to do, which is what we had agreed upon before I agreed to take the job. Um, and so after three years and a series of, of uh, things, I just decided, you know, I'm not gonna re-up my contract. This was in 2015. And I just said, you know what, I, I am going to split uh, on my own and I'm just going to go back to being a full-time professional actor. And uh, I'll never forget the um, the dean uh, looked at me and said, but you have to have a job. And I said, well, no, that's the difference between me and you. I am my own job. When I walk into the room, I am the job. My voice, my body, my mind. I walk into a room and I get a job. I don't need you. You need me. And so, good luck. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was the best decision for me. I, uh, uh, within one month after uh, going just 100% back into acting full time, I landed the lead role in a, in a short film that went on to do very well in festivals. And, like, Two months after that, I landed my first SAG role uh, in a little, little. Uh, it was just a one really intense scene in a movie opposite Nicky Rourke. Mm. Uh, and then after that, I did a Hallmark movie of the week thing um, with John Voight and James Caan, where I played James Caan's muscle man opposite uh, John Voight cast of other great actors and uh and that's when um you know those three things happened all in a six-month span of me just pushing all my chips in the middle and that was the best decision i ever made in my life and i was having lunch on set one day with john and uh i'll never forget it because i still see john boy uh, a few times a year out here you know i'll go to his office and have lunch or we'll hang out and talk and
highest grossing film of all time. And uh, they cast me in their new film called Cherry, uh, in which I play a villain opposite Tom Holland, uh, who many people know as Spider-Man. And uh, so this film isn't uh, part of the Marvel Universe, but it's their first film since Avengers Endgame. And, uh, yeah, we have incredible cast, uh, you know, beside myself and, and Tom Holland. We also had Michael Gandolfini and uh, Bill Skarsgård, who was Penny, Pennywise in the new hit, amongst um, other things. And, uh, I mean, a lot of people I could just go on and on about. And, uh, and working with those guys, I mean, that was an incredible experience. I, I really liked working with Anthony and Joe Russo uh, and, and even Tom. So yeah, it was great to see, um, you know, how he works, um, and I felt like we worked really good together. And I really enjoyed my time. You know, I was in Cleveland for uh, for a whole month doing that, and uh, that's where they're from originally. And uh, so yeah, we wrapped that in January, and uh, so then it was like, okay, uh, that was my seventh film I had done in a 14-month span. So for so 14 months, I was really busy uh, doing things like uh, the Netflix film you talked about, Point Blank, and uh, I, did a, I did a Ron Howard film with Amy Adams called Hillbilly Elegy, uh, which will probably be out later this year or next year. Um, so yeah, I wrapped that up in January, and then it was like, all right, Time to, you know, boots to the ground, pilot season's coming, let's find the next job. And then the pandemic hits, and, uh, you know, the, the entire industry shut down pretty much the first week of March. And, and um, you know, and now we have the, the nationwide protests, the riots happening, um, and there's asteroids heading towards the earth, and there's murder hornets, and, um, <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on right now, man. This episode is thanks to my patrons at patreon.com. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. You'll get early access to podcasts, songs, videos, and much more. Patreon.com slash Daryl Johnston. This episode is also brought to you by Adirondack Mountain Coffee. Located in the small town of Upper J, New York, in the heart of the Adirondack Mountains. They roast their coffee to perfection. And I've been drinking Hiker's Delight, and it is definitely an eye-opener. Visit adkmountaincoffee.com. That's adkmountaincoffee.com. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast, go to patreon.com slash Johnston, and you'll find the podcast sponsor tier. Message me to learn more. Now, let's get back to the podcast. We're living in a, 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 in a world without audiences in all kinds of fields. Um, and so we've been putting a lot of things in, uh, on the internet and have been utilizing the internet as much as we can. And you have a strong social media presence where you like to share the hashtag, you ain't South End if dot, dot, dot. And some examples are, like if you ain't South End if you've never had a pizzeria's pizza chip. Or if you've never wanted to buy a pair of Major League Chew flip-flops. Or you ain't South End if you don't have a couple of those plastic McDonald's plates in your cupboard. So you're, you're clearly proud of your like Kentucky home as well. And so how else has growing up in the South uh, 
and uh, your experiences growing up influenced you? Um, that's a great question. That's your first one to ask that. Yeah, I come from a really unique place because when, when people think Kentucky, they automatically think hillbillies and rednecks and no shoes and, you know, just, just a bunch of, you know, white folks running around in overalls and drinking moonshine. And sure, there is some of that in the rural areas. Um, but what's unique about where I come from is I come from a city of Louisville, uh, which is the 16th largest city in America. And Louisville is a city um, that, uh, as many know who are watching the, the news right now, uh, like many cities, it is not perfect by any means. We all have our flaws and um, injustices happen everywhere. Um, so I just want to preface by saying that, like, I, I understand what's happening in my city right now. I have a number of really great friends and colleagues that I've grown up with who are in the streets protesting daily, who are trying to find justice for Breonna Taylor. Um, and uh, and so while I understand that all that is going on, um, I do think it's also important to um, highlight the positives. And the positives of a city like Louisville is that it is an actual city. And, uh, you know, there's a Tony Award-winning theater there. Um, it's full of uh, all types of art, um, visual art and theater and uh, lab music. I mean, you know, back when I was growing up there, people like, my, you know, My Morning Jacket is from Louisville. You used to be able to go watch them play at Headliners. And uh, Nappy Roots was coming up, uh, you know, who went on to, a worldwide phenomenon hip-hop group and um it's just a, it's a really very diverse art artsy city um with a, a beautiful skyline and, and uh wonderful downtown uh area that's just constantly growing there's quite a quite a bit of people uh and things that have come from the city that have went on to have a really big impact worldwide. I mean, we haven't even got into like bourbon right, <laughs> or you know, right. horse, race, horse racing. You kept it all pretty you know, much in the same same field, at least. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. You know, UP, you know, UPS, you know, Ford. Um, there's there's a lot uh, of people. That's a, that's another you ain't south. You ain't south end if you don't have a family member that worked at UPS or Ford. Hmm. You know, because so many people either work either work at UPS or Ford or or, or Brown Foreman, who produces a, a ton of the best bourbons in the world. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like that's that's sort of uh, the special thing about about Louisville and specifically about uh, the South End is mm -hmm. you can go to this you can go to this place in the South End called uh, Iroquois Manor which is right by Iroquois Park, which is my favorite park in the city. And uh, there's just so many great restaurants that are all different and, you know, um, and just a, a unique mix of cultures. And, uh, yeah, it's just the... Uh, my favorite thing about it is everybody there in that area, nobody thinks they're better than anybody else. 
all know we're all living here and we all make about the same amount of money and we all try to get along with each other and try to help uplift each other, you know, each other. Uh, I think, you know, as I'm even speaking, I think that's had a really big impact on me on how I view the world and how I constantly try to stay positive and uplift, uh, uplift other people. Mm-hmm. I, I love that answer because it sounds very similar to kind of how I grew up in like a small town, 2000 people, Southern Iowa. And, you know, you just learn certain things about the way you treat community and how you value community when you grow up in a, in a rural place. Um, and yet you still want to get into the arts, you know, and to somehow escape the idea that you have to go and to go into a certain field or a trade because you're from a rural area. Like to still say like, no, the arts are for everybody and I can be the best in the world at it. That is unique. I'll just add this real quick. You know, it's people out here in, in Hollywood ask me all the time, you know, like, or, or, or what all happened is all run into somebody who's been to Louisville and they're like, oh man, I love Louisville. What a cool city. And I'm like, yeah, it's a really cool place. And all my family and most of my friends in my life are back there. I would totally live there if there was work there. <laughs> right. That's the thing, is, you know, uh, yeah. that I want to make sure that somebody who's listening to this might understand, you know, understand it if they're thinking, oh, well, he's saying how great it is. How come he don't live there? Mm-hmm. You know, as, as actors, we, we really have to live where the work is. And uh, what I am doing with my career in this specific moment of just doing film and television, uh, there's only few markets that I could probably be in, Hollywood, Atlanta, uh, or Chicago, or New York. And, mm-hmm. um I, but I would totally live in. I mean, there's a lot of times that you sit there, and I'm sure you do this too. So there's a lot of times where I sit there and go, "God, y'all don't think I want to just have a wife and some kids <laughs> and have a regular job and a house and a backyard and like be around all my friends all the time?" Like, there's plenty of times where I'm like, "Man, I could go back there." I mean, would I pay? To, to rent a condo for in LA, I could own two houses in Louisville. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's I the could, ongoing conflict for sure. Is is yeah, know, like feeling so proud of where I came from and wanting to bring that to where I came from, but just to acknowledge that, like, well, but to live to sustain, yeah, there's not. You got to kind of go where the work is. And so, if you Absolutely. talk to people on like social media, or if you someone calls you out of the blue who wants to be an actor. Um, so what advice do you give them? What do you, who do you talk to your fellow actors? Do you have experiences from your past that you draw from? Just be open-minded when it comes to like casting and when it comes to, um, the types of things you'll do. You know, I, I, I tell, um, I tell female actors all the time, uh, especially female actors make sure that you know what your limits are. You know, you, you really need to know what your limits are. You need to know things like if you're willing to, to do nudity, you know, you're willing, you need to know, you know, um, are you willing to do things like intimacy? And also, you, you've got to find ways of humbling yourself. You have to find you have to find, uh, what I mean is, it's a very, very odd way to say it, but you have 
have to find the beauty and the challenge in almost every role. So it's so easy for any of us to want to sit here and go, oh, I want to play Hamlet. I want to play Hamlet because then it's at the top of my resume and the whole world knows that I played Hamlet. That's something I can always say that I was lead role in Hamlet. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But where it can get tricky is, as an actor, I know I've been here before, I'm sure you have, and I'll, I'll tell a, a brief story about that. It can also feel demoralizing at times to get cast in a much quote-unquote lesser role, where you have less lines, or you only have very few scenes compared to other people, especially if the person who has the bigger scenes or the more lines is somebody that you personally feel is less of an actor as you. You know, there, there does come, you know, th there is an attitude that comes with being an actor and there is competition. And it's so easy to get caught up in those things. But you can also find the beauty and the challenge in the, in the quote-unquote you know, minor characters or the minor roles. That's why the old adage of there are no small roles, only small actors exists, because it really is true. Um, so I, I remember being in grad school and the, the first semester, it was in my first semester, and I was pretty happy with the role I played in, in the first play. And um, uh, we did the... Uh, gross indecency the three trials of Oscar Wilde and uh, I played the, the villain the Marquis of Queensbury um, and I was pretty happy with you know the size of the role and I'm in grad school and of course you know I want to play these big roles and I want to show these people how good I am and all that all that shit we get caught up in our head with as, act as actors and then they got ready to cast the play that was going to be the first play in the spring semester. It was right before uh, we went home for Christmas break. And the play was The Skin of Our Teeth by Thornton Wilder. Very unique, odd play. And uh, Robert Richmond, who you know, uh, who is a very well-known director in uh, Washington, D.C., and he's been nominated for Helen Hayes Awards and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we do the auditions, and I felt like I'd done really good in auditions, and I'd been, you know, I felt like I was probably going to be considered for one of the big roles. And the uh, cast list comes up, and I go down the cast list, and it says Daniel R. Hill, Mammoth. And so for those who are listening who don't know the play, the family in uh, the play, uh, as odd as it sounds, they have a pet dinosaur and a pet mammoth as their pets. And my pride was extremely injured and, you know, my, you know, my jaw dropped to the floor. I was angry. I was pissed off at the world. And I thought, here we go again. Of course, they take the biggest guy physically, and it's 
instead of, you know, giving me an acting role, I'm going to put on some fucking fur costume. <laughs> and I was pissed, man. And, uh, and, uh, I, I honestly started calling around and was trying, this is something very few people know. I was trying to transfer universities. I was, I was done with it. I was like, fuck it. I'll, you know, I'll go to Penn State or I'll go to one of these other places that was interested in me and find a way to weasel my way in there. I didn't even know if it was possible, but that's just where my mindset was. I was like, I'm going to fucking transfer. You know, I'm not putting up with this shit. And so I, uh, I had a long talk with Robin, Robin Hunt, and mm-hmm. Robin, Robin just assured me that Steve would not let that happen for my, my three years there, that he knew I would, that, you know, he knew the caliber of actor I was, he knew the types of roles that I not only want to do, but needed to play in order to make me a better actor, my time there. Um, and she just assured me it wouldn't happen and that they really wanted me there. And then I had a talk with Steve and he was like, you know, the, the challenge is, is that you, um, you find a way to, to give the mammoth feelings and he really listens and he really reacts. And, you know, just because there isn't lines in the script doesn't mean you, you can't find ways of, you know, making really interesting choices that not only fulfill you as the actor, but, um, you know, that help move the play along the story. And those two talks are very helpful because (laughs) a week prior, we go to the first day of rehearsal. And we're we're probably about two weeks before uh, we break for Christmas break, okay? And we go to the first rehearsal, and I remember getting in there, and uh, the movement coach comes up, and she hands me two dowel rods and puts puts one dowel rod in each hand and has me, like, bend over and, like, you know, use the dowel rods as, like, my front legs. And I'm, like, hunched over. And then she puts on my head a baseball helmet that has a dryer hose attached to it great that's great for the self-esteem yeah (laughs) and and if you remember in our acting studios uh mbt dub remember the doors that had about a 24 inch tall by four inch wide piece of glass where you could see in through the door yeah. My fellow classmates were outside and it was like Scooby Doo. Their heads were stacked on top of each other all the way up that piece of glass. <laughs> look looking into rehearsal and they all started laughing like extremely hard. Ah. And of course I'm taking it personal because I'm in this extremely emotional state of being in grad school and trying to figure out life and trying to figure out how to be a professional actor and, and, you know, we're at a conservatory, so it's long days and, 
here I am at eight o'clock at night, and I'm here to train to be a, a professional actor, and I got a baseball helmet on my head with a dryer hose on it. <laughs> I, I was shaking and trying to hold back, you know, fury and, and tears. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I'm trying to get through rehearsal. Um, and of course, at the time, being the age I was and the, the lack of experience I had, uh, I wasn't handling it good. And after a, a couple of extremely piss poor runs at the scene, uh, Robert looked at me and he said, You're unhappy, aren't you? I said, Yeah. And he said, Take that thing off his head. And he goes, He sort of scratched his head and he was like, I'm going to let you go for the night. We're, we're, we're going to, we'll find a way to make this work. I don't know what it is yet. And neither do you. And there's no sense in trying to cause anyone embarrassment. I'm, I'm just going to let you go. He, he knew, you know, he, he, he could gauge the, the temperature of the room. So he lets me leave and, uh, I grab my bag and I beeline to my car. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And I stopped at the liquor store. And I got a fifth of bourbon, and I went back to my apartment, which is pretty close to campus. And I kid you not, I drank an entire fifth of bourbon in about 30 minutes. I was literally just, I was was in my apartment, and I was pacing nonstop in my living room, chugging bourbon, cursing, sweating, you know, luckily I didn't punch any holes in the wall, but that's what I wanted to do. And I'm just like mad at the world. I I feel defeated. I feel like this is the end of my career. You know, I'll never, you know, I'll never be what I want to be, what I know I can be. And uh, I didn't know how to handle it. You know, I didn't know how to handle these feelings because that's just where I was at as an actor at the time. And, uh, so after I finished the bottle, uh, Michael Downey had come and said, Hey, everybody's coming over here after, um, rehearsal. Why don't you swing by? I was like, sure. I'd love to. So my dumb ass gets in my car and I probably have about two inches of liquor left in the bottle. And I'm driving over there while I'm drinking. Just, just waiting for, you know, somebody to arrest me or something. He lived about 10 minutes away. I drove over there. I get out of the car stumbling, and everybody sees me. And uh, Todd Zimbelman walks up, and he's like, did you drink this whole bottle? And I was like, yeah. And he tries to take it from my hand, and I'm like, no. And uh, all I really remember from that night, <laughs> going forward after that, was I went inside, and uh, I picked up a bottle of Seagram 7 that somebody else had, and I started chugging it. <laughs> and it was supposed to be a going-away party for our lighting designer who was moving to New York, uh, who, who just left grad school. And they had, like, a confessional video up, and apparently it made my ass, uh, made ass out of myself on this confessional video. Uh, and it exists somewhere out there in the world. I'm not sure where. Uh, <laughs> ho- ho- hopefully, Ian Del Duca and, and Michael Downey are holding that tape close to their hearts and won't expose me to TMZ one day. Um, 
and I end up falling asleep, or dare I say, I'm passing out on Michael Downing's rug that was at the foot of his bed where him and his wife slept. And I ended up getting sick uh, on this, like, 70-year-old, on this, like, 70-year-old rug that his grandmother had given him. And that day for lunch, I had beatball sub. So I... No. Yeah, man. There was beatball (laughs) sub and bourbon all over this carpet and I slept right next to the puddle and uh. I woke up the next I woke up the next day um, I probably had I not been raised on bourbon and not had it in my bloodstream since I was a baby because that's what they rub on your gums when you're uh, teething in Louisville <laughs> um, I probably had alcohol poisoning to be honest with you because I woke up and this wasn't a hangover. Like my my entire body felt like it had like electricity running through it. But I woke up and I and I knew that I had made an ass out of myself. And I felt bad because I I had said things to people that night and people were trying to help me and I didn't want their help and I was just I was an asshole to everybody because I was mad at the world. And I did and I didn't know how to, to handle it. So I rolled up the rug and I told him I was taken to get it professionally dry cleaned. It cost me like 170 bucks to get this thing dry cleaned. Because like that's, like I took it in there and I told the dry cleaner, I said, I'm going to tell you before you unroll this rug oh, God. That, I'm, that I'm sorry what you're about to find. And I said, I don't care what it costs, but I need this cleaned. And he like barely unrolled it and he almost puked just from the smell. And he was like, I'm going to warn you. He's like, it's going to be expensive. And I was like, I don't care. I need this claim. And uh, so then I called Michael and I said, I feel awful, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. I said, I want you to round up the troops and I want you to have everybody meet me at uh, Mellow Mushrooms, the pizza place. I said, I want you to have everybody meet me there at five o'clock. I'm buying everybody dinner. And so... I mean, about 13 people showed up, <laughs> and so that co- that cost me a lot of money too. I probably bought like five or six large pizzas, and it was like 120 bucks or something on pizza, 170 dollars clean the rug. And I just told everybody, I was like, enjoy the pizza. I don't want to go into detail about last night. I know I made ass out of myself. I know I I, I was you know belligerent towards all of you. I just want to let you know I'm sorry. I didn't know how to handle the situation. I still don't. But I'll try to figure this out, and I'm, I won't be handling it like this anymore. And everybody was really cool about it. And they, you know, told me that they loved me and that they wanted me to, you know, that they understood where my frustrations came from and that they just didn't want to see me do any physical harm to myself. And so then that's when I had the talks with Robin and Steve, like a day later, that I explained. And... So to wrap up this uh, story, um, I went into rehearsal, and I, you know, two days later, and I thought to myself, okay, and I, and I'm not saying that the director thought this way, and I'm not saying that the program thought this way, but my mindset and the championship mindset that I that I have 
was, you think all I can play is the goddamn mammoth. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to steal the show. And I just, you know, did everything in my power to constantly bring ideas to the table. And uh, so long story short, the uh, or long story medium, because this has been short, um, <laughs> We, we get to the performances, you know, opening night, and every every moment that I wanted to hit for a laugh, you know, I, I did all these different things where, you know, I sat down at one point, I pouted as the mammoth, and there's a point where I, I plopped down on the couch, and there's all these little different uh, specific comedic moments that I wanted to hit, and... Um, Anyway, uh, when we came out to bow, I got a huge standing ovation. And uh, and not that these things completely matter, because you and I know as actors they don't. But mm-hmm. when the review came out in the newspaper, they talked about the lead actors, and they talked about the lead actresses, but they specifically talked about the mammoth. That's awesome. And the thing is, is that that applies to so much more than just acting. You know, that's championship oh, mindset for every field. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So thank you so much for your insight about acting, about life, about having a championship mindset, about your past experiences and letting all those things inform how you can be the best person that you can be today. But here's a question that I pose to every guest that I have on here. You're joining the ranks of Stephen Colbert and Brian Cranston and Jeff Daniels and Dolly Parton. So I'm glad to add Daniel R. Hill to this list. What is a book recommendation that you have? It may not be your favorite book, but just a book that you think people ought to read. I'm going to give you a very oddball suggestion because I think it's something nobody else probably would recommend and it's a book that just like we talked about uh the the mindset that applies to everything beyond acting i think that this book applies to everything beyond professional wrestling mick foley who uh, many people uh, know is a multi-time um not just world champion, but he's a multi-time New York Times best-selling author. His book is called uh, Mankind, A Tale of Blood and Sweat Socks. Mankind, A Tale of Blood and Sweat Socks by... Yeah, by Mick Foley. M- Mick Foley. Where can people learn more about you? Sure, yeah. Probably the, probably the best way to actually like follow my career as opposed to my personal life. <laughs> uh, probably the best place to follow my career is on Instagram. That's at dhillactor, so D-H-I-L-L actor uh, on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter, but I hate Twitter, so I'm just rarely on there. I'm on, I'm on Instagram a lot. Uh, and then, of course, you can go on IMDb. You can either search me on IMDb, or you can do imdb.me slash Daniel R. Hill, and uh, you can see you know all the projects that I've done uh, with uh, photos from the red carpets or um, you know freeze frames from the actual projects. And you can also see uh, what I have coming out later this year, which hopefully. 
with the uh, pandemic and everything um, and uh, the protests and, and really just with 2020 as a whole, hopefully, you know, um, we get to see uh, Cherry with the Russo Brothers and Tom Holland come out. Hopefully, we get to see the Ron Howard film with Amy Adams coming out, Hillbilly Elegy. Um, and uh, beyond that, who knows? Daniel, thank you so much for being here today, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Remember, just ask your smart speaker to play the Highway Walkers podcast. Thanks again to my sponsors, patrons on patreon.com, and a special thanks to you for tuning in. Until next time.